are going to get back to the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, we're going to turn over to Acts 18. Acts 18. And so we talked about this a little bit just so you know where we're going. This semester, kind of our spring semester, we will finish the book of Acts. So we're in chapter 18 now. So we have a few more chapters to go, but we are going to finish this up. So this semester we'll move a little bit quicker just so we can get through the book of Acts. And then when we come back for fall, kind of that fall time in August, we will start the book of Revelation and just walk through the book of Revelation verse by verse and just talk about what God is doing on the earth right now and thank God what He is going to do and the promises of Scripture through that. And so we'll record all those and just hopefully that'll be a blessing to you and be a blessing to others that get to watch or listen to this from a podcast perspective. So Today, though, we're in Acts 18, and we kind of started this our last session before we broke for Christmas and the New Year. But if you'll remember in Acts chapter 18, what is happening here is the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. And so, once again, the church of Antioch of Syria there, the church of Antioch, great New Testament church, they have sent Paul out again with the gospel. And so he's already done a first missionary journey, and we remember talking about that. It was a great great experience with Barnabas, and God used that in incredible ways. But Barnabas and Paul split, and they had a disagreement. And so now on Paul's second missionary journey, he has four guys that are traveling with him. So he is traveling with Silas, and also a young man, probably a teenager at this time, known as Timothy, who will eventually later kind of take over Paul's ministry when Paul dies. And then also Luke is traveling with them as they go, and he is kind of journaling everything and writing down everything that happens. And that's how we have the book of Acts. So Paul or Luke is writing just first person here to give us exactly what happens on this second missionary journey. And of course, you know Luke writes the gospel of Luke, and then really the book of Acts is just a continuation of that and a continuation of the gospel. So those are the ones that are on this journey with the Apostle Paul. And so on this journey, before we get here in Acts 18 to Corinth, that's where we are in Acts 18, he goes to the city of Athens. And so we talked a lot about that in December because Athens is a very, very prominent city in the Greek world and even in the Roman Empire. And so Paul was there and he preached the gospel there. He also went to Thessalonica. And so if you know your Bible, you know there's some books called Thessalonians. And so Paul is writing back to the church of Thessalonica. And so those are important as well. So in Acts chapter 18, what has happened is Paul has left Athens and he has gone to Corinth. Now, one of the things that's going to be important in just a minute to remember is when Paul went to Athens, he had to go to Athens to basically save his life. So the believers got him out of Berea and got him to Athens because they were about to persecute, probably stone him or something else. So kind of in the middle of the night, they got him out. So he went to Athens by himself. His traveling companions stayed back. And so they're still back. He goes to Corinth by himself, which is about 50 or so miles from Athens. So Acts chapter 18, at the beginning of it, Paul is still by himself. And you're going to see why that is important. So just as we start reading, we'll kind of go back and start reading in verse 1 just so you can kind of get a running flow of what we're going to talk about today. But remember just the important things about Corinth. Corinth was one of the most important cities in the Roman world from an economic or a trade perspective. They had two huge seaports, large seaports. 
And so most everything that was traveling east to west, west to east, it would go through Corinth. And so they had the second largest market in the world. Rome had a little bit larger market, but Corinth had a huge marketplace. And so it was a huge city, probably over half a million people, 600,000 people. And that would have been residents, but that would also have been slaves. But then there were always people there from all over the world doing trade because sailors would come in, people come in selling things. So it was definitely an international city. But the one thing you really need to know about Corinth is it was a pagan and it was an immoral city. The one thing that kind of dominated the city was a temple. And it was a temple not where people would go and worship the one true God, but it was the temple of Daphrodite. And uh, if you know anything about that, she was basically the sexual goddess. And so a lot of things that went on in Corinth were around sexual forms of worship. There, it was estimated there were about a thousand temple prostitutes. And what basically they would do is they would go up to that temple, they would worship, and then at night they would come down into the city and do what prostitutes do. And then with the money they made, they would take it back to the temple. And so that's how they worshiped. And that just kind of permeated the entire culture of Corinth. And I mean, it really is Sin City. It's Las Vegas on steroids. And so just an immoral, immoral, immoral place. And that's where God leads Paul to, to preach the gospel. And so you're going to see just some of the difficulty in that as we read. So let's just go back up to verse 1. We'll read and kind of get a running start. This is what the Bible says. It says, Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now the reason uh, we get to meet Aquila and Priscilla here is because they came from Italy. Where do you think they came from in Italy? They came from Rome. And so they were Jews who were in Rome, but about this time, sometime around A.D. 50, the Roman emperor Claudius expelled all Jews from Rome. And so all Jews who were there from wherever they were, he expelled them basically because they were troublemakers. And the reason they were troublemakers is because they wouldn't bow down and worship him as God because Caesar, whoever was the ruler at the time, Caesar was God. And any Roman citizen had to acknowledge that, had to worship him as God, and even had to say that Caesar is Lord. And so Jews wouldn't do that because, of course, they were commanded biblically not to do that. And so he expelled them. He got rid of them. And so Aquila and Priscilla came to Corinth. That's where they came. And that's how Paul gets to meet them. So this is what it says. It says there in verse 3, Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Okay, now this is important because the Apostle Paul, remember, he is here alone. So because he is here alone, he has no one to help him, no one to sustain him. So he has to work if he wants to eat. And so what he does when he first goes to Corinth is he's basically a bivocational minister, bivocational minister, or whatever, missionary, whatever you want to call it. So he works and then he also preaches. So probably during the week he would work and then on the Sabbath he would go to the synagogue, he would go wherever he was going and he would preach. And that's how he sustained himself. That's how he lived. Now, the Bible says here that he is a tent maker. Really what that means is he's a leather worker because at that point, what do you think tents were made of? 
they were made of leather. And so they would make different things out of leather. One of the things they would make is tents, and Aquila and Priscilla would do that. And they probably were pretty good at it and had a thriving business at it. So to help the Apostle Paul, what do you think they did? They said, well, you come work with us, and you can help us during the week, and then you can go preach, and that's the way you can share the gospel. So that's kind of what Paul did. Verse 4, this is what he would do on the Sabbath. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. Okay, so verse 4, there's a lot in there. So we know what Paul's doing. But now finally, his companions come back to him. So Silas, Timothy, and Luke catch up with him in Corinth. And now does Paul have to work and be bivocational any longer? No, now he's a full-time missionary. He's a full-time pastor, whatever you want to call him. He's able to do this full-time because there's others that can go work and provide food, provide lodging, and Paul can do exactly what he is called to do. So this is really important, and the reason this is really important, you're going to see in just a minute, but... It always kind of boggles my mind anyway, and I hear this a lot. I mean, I hear it a lot. I guess maybe just because I'm a pastor. But a lot of times people are wounded by the church, and because of that they don't like the church. And they'll say things like this, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I don't have to go to church to hear from God. I can hear from God in my house, or I can do this or that. Well, listen to me. You cannot do the Christian life alone. You can't do it. Because you weren't created to do it. You were created for community and you were created for relationship. Why did God create you in the first place? For relationship with him, correct? And so you're created in his image. He wanted a relationship with you. So you have to have relationships with others because you're created in the image of God. That's how you're created. And you need the church and you need the church to sustain you and to speak truth into you and to help grow you in your faith. Because what happens to us in our faith? Sometimes our faith is weak, right? Yeah, and when my faith is weak, hopefully your faith is strong and you can help me when my faith is weak. And then what happens? The opposite's gonna happen at some point. You might get cancer or you might have somebody you love die and your faith is weakened. But what do I do for you? I strengthen you in those moments, right? And so it's back and forth and we need other believers. We need the church in our lives. It is paramount. And you're gonna see, even in the life of Paul, he needed that. And so this is what Paul did when he spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him. Okay, now again, this is English translation. And it's not a very good English translation. And I don't know how they should have said this. But these words here for opposed and insulted, these are military words. And basically what these words mean is they got in battle formation. Okay, they were ready to fight a war because they wanted to war with Paul for what he was saying because they didn't agree with him, because they didn't believe Jesus was Messiah. They didn't believe he had come to save the world. They didn't believe that. And so, of course, they're staunch Jews and they were going to fight him and they got in battle formation or battle array to oppose the apostle Paul. So what did Paul do? Well, he did what Jesus said. So Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Okay, this is a major shift in the book of Acts. 
Because up until this point, every city that Paul goes into, what does he do first? He always goes to the synagogue first and he always preaches to the Jews first. And then he'll go into the city and preach to everyone else. But now, what do you think the Apostle Paul is going to start doing? He's going to the Gentiles. God has called him to go to the Gentiles to preach basically to the Greeks because that's where he is. So he's going to preach there. And so basically, he's finally fulfilling what God has called him to do. And just a major shift as we go on through the book of Acts. But God is still at work, so look at verse 7. Then he left and went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Okay, now that doesn't mean that Titius there is a Christian because what would Paul always do when he would go to the synagogue? He would speak to Jews and those who were not Jewish. He would speak to Greeks and Gentiles because there were always Gentiles in the synagogue for whatever reason trying to find God. And so probably the reason Titius lived next to the synagogue because he was one of them. But Paul goes to his house and then an amazing thing happens in verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, now just real quick, the leader of the synagogue would not have meant that Crispus was the rabbi of the synagogue. Basically, the leader of the synagogue would kind of be the guy that was in charge of everything. He wouldn't be the one ministering, but he would be in charge of money. He would be in charge if they had a building, which most of them didn't. He would be in charge of organization, just everything. And so a good person to compare this to is you remember when Jesus was ministering and a man came, named Jairus came to him and said, my daughter, my only daughter's dying. Would you come to my house? And Jesus goes and raises her from the dead. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue where Jesus was. That's what Crispus is here. And so Crispus is a very important man in Corinth, especially from a Jew perspective, because he led all the Jews. Okay, so look what happens. Verse 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul and became believers and were baptized. Okay, now just think about this. I know we don't see this in the Bible, but think about kind of the roller coaster Paul is on here. Paul is in the synagogue and he is preaching the gospel. And what happens to him in the synagogue? They're ready to attack him. They're ready to kill him. They're in battle formation about to pounce on him. So Paul shakes the dust, just like Jesus says. If they want to listen to you, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next village. It says that in Matthew 10. So Paul does that, and he goes literally next door to a house. And somehow Crispus and his whole family come and listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his whole family are saved. The leaders of the Jewish community in Corinth. But not only then, who else was saved? Paul became, many came believers and heard and were baptized. So Paul finally gets to see a harvest here in Corinth. Now, we don't know how many people are believers and baptized, but this right here is the beginning of the Corinthian church. We have two letters to Corinthians. And so the church at Corinth became a very prominent church in the world. And so it started right here from Christmas. So Paul went from basically fighting in the synagogue to seeing God move in an incredible way. But here's what I want you to understand in your life, in church life, in whatever. When you're on the mountaintop, you better watch out. Because that's when Satan's going to attack you. Look at verse 9. This is what happens. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, 
Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. Okay, now why do you think that Jesus had to come to Paul and speak to him in the middle of the night? You think this was just random? Or do you think Paul was struggling? I mean, Paul was struggling. And one of the things biblically, especially in the book of Acts, there are a lot of holes in the story that we don't know everything that happens. But in my mind, and maybe my mind's goofy, but in my mind, this story is probably pretty similar to a story in the book of First Kings with a prophet named Elijah. And if you go read about the prophet Elijah, he kind of lived a roller coaster life like the Apostle Paul. He had a lot of ups and he had a lot of downs. And he was a pretty bold person and he would speak whatever God told him to speak, sometimes speak things God told him not to speak. But he would say it, right? And Paul was kind of like that. He was a bold prophet, bold at proclaiming the gospel. And if you go read 1 Kings 18, you see the prophet Elijah standing on top of a mountain, on top of Mount Carmel, and he's literally on top of that mountain. And the reason he's on top of that mountain is because on that day, they're going to have a God contest, basically, to figure out who the one true God of Israel truly is. And he goes up to the top of that mountain, and the entire nation of Israel, the Bible said, goes to the top of that mountain. But he's the only prophet of God on that mountain. But guess what? There are a lot of prophets of Baal and Asherah that come up that mountain, hundreds of them. And so they all gather on top of Mount Carmel, and this is how they're going to decide who the one true God of Israel is. Whoever's God answers with fire, that's who we're going to know is the one true God. So Paul lets the prophets of Baal and Asherah go first, and he says, build an altar and pray to your God, and if he answers with fire, we'll worship him. So they did. And all day long, from morning to the time of evening sacrifice. These prophets of Baal and Asherah, they worshiped and they danced around their altar. They even cut their chest and bled over the altar trying to get their God to answer. And at some point during the afternoon, after they had done this for hours and hours, do you know what the prophet Elijah started doing? He started mocking them. He started basically going, yeah, nah, 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 your God ain't no good. That's what he did. He, said, he literally says this in Hebrew. The Bible doesn't translate this in English. This is what he said. Is your God in the bathroom? Is that why he hadn't heard you? Is he on a potty break? It's not that nice in Hebrew. But that's what he says, mocking them. And then finally, the Bible says, at the time of evening sacrifice, Elijah says, you've had enough time. And the Bible says he stands up and rebuilds the altar of the Lord and takes the 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And then all he does is pray. And he prays. And what does God do? He answers with fire. And the Bible says that everyone atop that mountain, do you know what they did? They fell on their face. And this is what they said. He is God. And then you know what they did with the prophets of Baal and Asherah? They killed them. Now that's a mountaintop experience, literally, right? Anybody in here ever prayed fire down from heaven? Raise your hand. Why not? It's in the Bible. But I mean, you would think Elijah's on top of the world, right? Okay, you know, I hope, the rest of the story, if you go read 1 Kings 19, do you know what happens to Elijah the very next day? That old gal Jezebel makes a statement. 
I'm going to kill Elijah. And you know what Elijah does? He believes her. He just What did he just see God do? What did he just see God do? But he listens to those words. And he runs out in the desert, the Bible says, and sits down under a broom tree. Just this little bitty tree. And you know what he thinks? I wish I were dead. I'm the only one left, God. He wasn't the only one left, but he thinks that I'm the only one left, God, and now you've abandoned me. Did God abandon him? No, he just prayed down fire from heaven the day before. But what does God do? God comes, ministers to him through an angel, and then he goes to a cave. And what does God do? He speaks to him. Did he speak in the thunder? Did he speak in the lightning? Did he speak in the earthquake? The Bible says he spoke how? In a still, small voice. Now, wouldn't you like to know here in Acts 18 how God spoke to the Apostle Paul? If you read the whole book of Acts, this is the sixth time he does, or he does it six different times in the book of Acts. He speaks to Paul in a vision or verbally. But why do you think the Apostle Paul needed to hear these words? Because he was like Elijah. He was afraid. He was weak. He was timid. Do you think of the Apostle Paul being timid? Do you know how I know he was? He says it. Listen to what he says. When he writes back later to the church at Corinth, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says this, he says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters... I didn't use lofty words, impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And this is what he says in verse 3. I came to you in weakness. I came to you timid. I came to you trembling. My message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speech, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. For whatever reason, when Paul gets to Corinth, he's not this bold, mighty preacher of the gospel. He has been beat down. Everywhere he goes, what happens to him? Well, he's attacked. One place he was stoned to death. I think God raises him back from the dead. I mean, he has been beaten down. And now, when he gets to Corinth, how long had he been without any brothers and sisters in Christ? Quite a while. And he was beat down. And he gets to see a miracle of God. He gets to see the leader of a synagogue and his entire family and many other believers come to faith in Christ. But it wasn't enough. So what did God do? He spoke to him. Don't be afraid, Paul. So do you think Paul was afraid? Remember, he's in a wicked city, a wicked, immoral city. Was Paul afraid? Yes, he was afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. Why would God have to tell him that if he hadn't have been silent? How many opportunities did the Apostle Paul have in the city of Corinth where he kept his mouth shut rather than preaching the gospel? Anybody relate to that? Of course you can. Speak up, don't be silent. Why? For I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. 
Now, does that mean that nobody's going to attack Apostle Paul? Now, he's going to get attacked. But is he going to be harmed? Not till God's done with him. And guess what? The same's true for you and me. Do you realize you're invincible until God says it's time? God's in control of your life. It ain't your doctor. I got news for you. It's God. So do what He's placed you on this earth to do. But I love this. He says, for many people in the city belong to me. Now, were there Christians in the city at this point? Just a handful. Those that had just came to faith in Christ. But what does God say? There are many in this city who belong to me. Do you think God already knew who was going to be saved in the city of Corinth? Of course He did. And who was His instrument to make that happen? The Apostle Paul. And so what's He telling Paul to do? To do what I've called you to do, for I am with you. You don't have to be afraid. Don't keep your mouth shut. Speak up, and I'll take care of the rest. This is what we're all called to do as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look at what it says there in verse 11. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. So other than Ephesus, Paul was in the city of Corinth longer than any other place he ever lived. And in this year and a half, do you know what happened in the city of Corinth? Paul continued to preach and he continued to speak the gospel. And guess what happened? Those many believers came to faith in Jesus Christ and the church grew rapidly in the city of Corinth. Do you know what else happened in the city of Corinth during this year and a half? Paul wrote some letters. Remember we said he had been to Thessalonica? It was during this period of time that he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. Some of the earliest books we have in the New Testament. He writes them there. And if you read First and Second Thessalonians, you get a lot of theology there, especially about the last days and what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, taking our church, the bride of Christ, out of this place. Thank God for that. You know what else happens in this year and a half? Paul writes the book of Romans. Is that an important book in your Bible? Maybe so. I think it's the most important book in the New Testament. From a theological perspective, you get more there than you get anywhere else in the New Testament about the heart of God and the work of God and the move of God. But how is all that possible? Because God sustained Paul. He spoke to him. And Paul listened. And then God used him in an incredible way. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're discouraged Maybe you've shared the gospel over and over and over again with a family member or someone, and it's like you're talking to the wall. I'm sure Paul felt that way many times. But did God ever leave him? Did God ever stop working in him and through him? Nope, and he will not you either, because God never does. So listen for the voice of God through his word, through others, even maybe through dreams and visions, listen to the voice. And when he speaks, be like the Apostle Paul and obey. Because when you obey the voice of God, that's when God does incredible things. And he did it in the life of Paul. Not only the life of Paul, through the life of the church. How many people do you think have been saved through the book of Romans? Anybody in here ever remember an old way to share the gospel, the Roman road? Anybody ever shared the gospel that way? I still do it today. It's incredible, those verses of Scripture in the book of Romans. 
I mean, no telling how many millions of Christians came to faith because Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half and did what God called him to do. Wouldn't you like to know what happened in that year and a half? We get one sentence. One sentence for a whole year and a half. And all that happened, one sentence. That's why I say there's holes here in the story of the book of Acts that we don't get. I would love to know that. But it's incredible to think what God did during that time. Real quick, I know where our time's getting close. Let's just read another little section here just to see that God meant what he said. Look there at verse 12. It says, But when Galeo became governor of Achia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. Okay, did they attack Paul? They attacked him, but what did God say? I'm not going to harm you. Don't worry about it. This is what they did, verse 13. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that were contrary to our law, basically the Jewish law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, now I love this. Now Paul was about to speak up and defend himself, but he didn't have to. Galeo turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews. If this were a case involving some wrongdoing or serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it's merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourself. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the court. Paul didn't even have to say a word. And God defended him. And God took care of him. Why? Because is that not what God promised him to do? He promised him when he spoke to him, no one will harm you because there are many in the city that belong to me. And then just look, verse 17, the crowd then grabbed Sorinthes, the leader of the synagogue. Okay, now what happened to Crispus when he became a follower of Jesus Christ? Was he the leader of the synagogue anymore as a Christian? They got rid of him pretty quick, right? So they got a new leader of the synagogue. This is who it is. And guess what they did to him? They beat him right there in the courtroom, but Galeo paid no attention to them. So they couldn't beat Paul because why? God said they couldn't. God was in charge of that. So now they grab one of their own and start beating him. You think God's in control? I'm telling you, God's in control. So this year, guess what? We're going to have an election coming up. That's going to be fun, right? Guess who's in charge of that election? Uh, God, who do you think sets up kings and rulers and authorities? Uh, God's in charge of that. Now, do I think you should vote? Yeah, you should still vote, but guess what? God's in charge. And God's plans are going to be fulfilled because His Word is never not fulfilled. So don't worry, don't fret, and don't keep your stinking mouth shut. Open your mouth with the gospel of Jesus Christ and speak truth while there is still time. Because listen, verse of scripture I'm praying for you, John 9, 4, this whole year, what's coming quickly? Night is coming. And when night comes, no man can work. Why? Because we're out of here. Because Jesus Christ returns to this earth and we're gone. And no man can work at that point. And God pours out His wrath and judgment on this world. But before that day, what are we to do? The same thing the Apostle Paul. Don't be silent. Speak up. Because the gospel still goes forth. Do you know why? 
Because God says there are still many on this earth that are mine. Now to us, do we know they're God's yet? No, because they haven't been saved yet. But does God know it? You better believe it. So until Jesus Christ returns and night comes, open your mouth and don't be silent. Amen? Thank you.